0: We're on a mission from God. Wendy. Philly! That's so I got that going. Darling. Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. <laughs> we enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad
1: on the outside.
2: Welcome to Vintage Video where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly.
3: I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm
2: Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Little Dragons, AKA Karate Kids USA, AKA Dragons, AKA Karate Kids, on July 18th, 1980.
3: Why does it have so many names?
1: Did you see how many writers there were on it?
2: <laughs> yeah, each one got to pick a title, and they just released it under four different names. Just flip a coin. It was written by Harvey Applebaum and Louis G. Attlee and Rudolph Borchert and Alan Ormsby. <laughs> but the So the first two, it's an ampersand, so they wrote it together. Right. Rudolph Borchert rewrote it. Alan Ormsby rewrote it again. It was directed by Curtis Hansen. And released by Aurora Film Corporation. You know, that huge distributor that we all know. This uh, this shouldn't have been on the list. But I it,
3: argued for it not hold on, to be.
2: But it is on the list because it came out in 1980. Yeah. Curtis Hanson is a known entity. Okay. And we also have Joe Spinell in here. And I felt bad leaving out any of Joe Spinell for the year.
3: <laughs> but do we? were we able to confirm that it actually had a theatrical release?
2: I was able to confirm next to nothing beyond what i've said so far <laughs> that i could not find any making of information for this film whatsoever
3: i mean it looks like direct to video quality film. i here. wouldn't
2: even call it that i think that's generous. made for tv yeah i i feel like
3: i mean it it felt like a disney movie special of yeah the
2: week. it did Apple <laughs> gang kind but of. this is the weird thing though is that this is actually before the karate craze so that's why it, like this I think
3: probably started it. I'm sure this inspired yeah, definitely, everything for sure. Yeah.
2: But <laughs> the, the reason that they re-released it as Karate Kids USA was to trick people into seeing this after the movie Karate Kid had made a bunch of money. They were like, oh, well, let's put this back out but there.
3: Karate Kid was years later.
2: Right. And the production value is not comparable at all.
3: But like I don't even understand the logic behind it. I guess
2: they do it all the time
3: video but for, is it but I'm trying to understand like nowadays I sort of get the logic behind it like when people are looking through a streaming service and they mm-hmm. and they they stumble upon the wrong thing it's the same or but for a video store but okay so it was the assumption that in the video store you would get confused
2: yeah you go or you're at the shelf and you're like oh Karate Kids rented out oh but Karate Kids USA is here. So they, they specifically okay. title it that so alphabetically it would be right next to the other movie. Yeah, it. it's and that then you phone go, book trick. Well, let's get the. It's probably the same. Maybe yeah. this is the sequel that I didn't hear about yet. And then you rent it and you're disappointed and you bring it back.
1: And then you yell at your grandparents. Yeah. This isn't the one I wanted, Grandma. And then
2: you go back to the store and you yell at me or Richard who rented it to you. <laughs> and didn't warn you. Didn't um, warn you. <laughs> we start the film with a kid named Woody and he's late to his karate lesson. But his brother was on time, so I'm not sure how that happened. Um, It it seems like they don't have parents and they live on the streets. Yeah, and occasionally their grandpa takes them on a trip.
1: Movie, right? No, yeah, no, no parents, and the grandfather only occasionally shows up or (laughs) leaves without them. Yeah.
2: (laughs) The instructor gives Woody the stink eye when he comes in, and he's walking around very harshly correcting the form of his classmates. The instructor allows Woody to join the class after performing some perfunctory push-ups. An older gentleman enters the dojo and waves to Woody. This is their grandfather, JJ. Uh, Woody is bad at karate and runs full speed into a punching bag after his friends kick it, clearly showing what you're supposed to do.
1: Um, I, uh, I like that uh, his one of his friends says i thought you were going fishing with your grandfather yeah. this weekend <laughs> I, yep. was like, I was like who the heck was that yeah. <laughs> they
2: decided later what this person we was going to be saying exposition yeah <laughs> it was like he's,
1: he's being taken over by a demon
2: yeah it really did sound like that at the end of their lesson the instructor asks who will be going to the upcoming demonstration and when woody raises his hand with everyone else yeah i have his his friend whispers in an adult's voice <laughs> you guys Uh, we are our lakes right by the retreat he says the instructor gives them his concluding speech about knowing and touching the face of darkness to make it light whatever that means i get the impression that he says this at the end of every lesson outside the class grandpa jj walks the kids to his motorhome which looks more like a long ice cream truck
1: (laughs) yeah i was
3: thinking the exact same thing i'm like it's either ice cream or fish tacos coming out of this thing
2: (laughs) yeah that's true it could be a food truck this is pre-food truck though uh somehow they've never seen this vehicle but he claims to have had it a while he likes it so much that he finally just sold his house so he can live in this uh while he that's living the dream though
1: yeah i mean
2: just it's
1: before the tiny
3: house craze too like he's on top of it
2: yeah well he's he's on top of a lot of cultural waves i would say while he drives the kids ask if fishing and retirement in general is boring and he seems to enjoy it suddenly a huge newer motorhome honks while passing them on the road the kids are very impressed by this equally boring motorhome Uh, from (laughs) the outside it doesn't look as cool as jj's motorhome woody says it's
0: that hot way to travel baby way to travel."
1: (laughs) Uh, all all, all of woody's like one-liners are really forced yeah definitely it it, it just seems like they just gave him the line to read right then exactly
2: and and the director gave him the line read and everything too he's Mm -hmm. like say it like this say with my exact intonation these Mm -hmm. words and then they recorded it the older brother zach apologizes on woody's behalf for his excitement grandpa isn't offended though and refers to his own rv as a precursor to the nicer one in the other rv a daughter asks how much longer and her mother chastises the father driving for having taken a wrong turn he asks them to get him a Perrier from the fridge. Uh, the daughter drops it in her father's lap and instead of picking up the still spilling bottle of Perrier, mom reaches under him to soak up the water with the map that they were using. I, to... I like
3: when the girl grabs the Perrier out of the fridge and is handing it to the dad. She's like, "Your daddy, I didn't shake it this time." "Why would you have yeah, ever shaken it?" It seems like it? they're just <laughs> both
2: torturing him for this entire trip.
1: And she says, "I'm sorry." He's like, he apologizes to her dad. It's like, Don't try to reason with your father, Carol. It's just like
3: what <laughs> is your problem?
2: Well, She's, she seems awful underlying yeah.
3: things happening here.
2: She's trying to soak up this this water with the map that they should be using to figure out where they're going. <laughs>
3: Maps aren't particularly <laughs> absorbent. When
2: they basically drive off of a cliff, but it's just they tilted the camera at an angle mm-hmm. and then drove near a tree. Yeah. To make it look like they hit a tree.
3: I actually had to back this seat up like two or three times. I'm like, wait. Are they implying that they hit the tree because it so clearly looked like they didn't hit the tree? Yeah, but I'm like, I'm not sure if they meant us to believe they did.
2: I I don't know. <laughs> I it's open to interpretation. This is an art film, basically. <laughs> um, the dad sounds like Walter Matthau though, <laughs> driving yeah, this truck. At least in the very beginning. Oh, um,
3: when he's complaining about the map, it's great. I just it sounds exactly like him.
2: But uh he, the mom is continuing to give him shit about not being a better driver while people are just surprisingly dumping shit in his lap while he's (laughs) steering the car he tells his wife that he's entitled to a little more consideration
0: i just think i'm entitled to a little more consideration that's all
2: and then the daughter repeats this line later to their dog we also heard this line in the movie night of the juggler when the detective tried to leave the rich people's apartment in the middle of a kidnapping investigation
0: i think i'm entitled to some consideration
2: Uh, seems
3: like a weird way to phrase that I, i mean maybe it was a 1980 thing it's
2: it's just a privilege phrase it's something that rich people say to everyone. It's kind of like a, it's the male version of "Can I see your manager?" Those are the two different things.
3: Because if a dude ever said that, that would yeah. be wrong.
2: <laughs> yeah, because they don't say that. They just say "You're fired." I am the boss of every employee I speak with. The daughter steps out of the RV to go on a short walk with the dog Rufus and loses it immediately. When she calls out to him in the woods, we the, suddenly the see the dog. So <laughs> she's, no, she she's just having a total nuts.
0: <laughs>
2: no uh the dog ran away uh because it turns out that dogs don't know everywhere so if you just let them out of your truck in the wilderness they might wander into it she calls out to him in the woods and we suddenly see a pair of legs up on a ledge behind her and she slowly turns around to see a scary man growling at her like a maniac this is our joe Spinell character for the day <laughs> he's uh i think it's like his fifth one for the year the creepy guy who we will come to know later as Yancey runs up to his ma and brother.
3: They might actually be saying Laurel, though. You don't know.
2: <laughs> is that that audio recording? That's yeah. oh, either Man. Yancey or Laurel. That's Maybe that clip is from this movie. Yeah, Yancey's not a very common name. so <laughs> He growls at her and she just runs away. He doesn't, he doesn't stay with her or chase her or anything. Um, but then he runs back to his house. Uh, where his Ma and brother, Carl, are setting up outside their, their backwoods cabin, and he shows them the creepy bear growl that he did to scare a little girl. And Ma asks, what little girl? And he says,
0: Some Big old shiny bus up on the roadways, that's where she ran off to.
2: And she sends Carl to go see what the story is with this shiny bus, and reminds Yancy not to scare the hell out of people for no reason. Because she's a nice person, and wouldn't wouldn't condone that kind of behavior. Right. In the RV, dad can't get the phone working and mom doesn't understand how CB radios work. Like, she doesn't know anything about CB radios, what mm-hmm. you're supposed to say or anything. Even the most, like, literally the only thing that you would know if you knew anything is that Smokey means the police.
1: Well, and I'm, I'm not even entirely sure that she's pressing the button yeah, to probably speak not. with. Yeah, probably not. But I just <laughs>
2: felt like she should be on the phone and he should be on the CB radio. Because if he asked for a CB radio to be installed, then he might know how to use it. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I think that's she's kind of different.
3: sexist of you to assume that she doesn't know how to use it. She says she
2: doesn't know how to use it. <laughs> but yeah, when she admits that she doesn't know what Smokies are, then their daughter has to explain what they are, probably because she just saw Smokey and the Bandit. The daughter notices the man who scared her outside, and Dad says,
0: they Hill people, Carol. Okay, you two stay here and lock the doors behind me. Hey. okay. I know how to talk to these people. <laughs>
2: the Hill people confirm Mom's suspicion that he took a right too soon, and they see that the problem is just that the wheels are off the ground because the ground is uneven and that a rock pile should be enough to get the traction they need to back the RV back onto the street even though they just told him a free way to fix the problem he offers them 50 bucks to put one rock under the tire which in 1980 equates to about $156 now Without inflation, this is already too much money for what they're talking about doing.
1: I feel though he hesitates to say how much, cause, like he, as in he doesn't want. He doesn't to ins- want to
2: insult them. Yeah. Does he think that these people are like union or something?
1: Well, more more so like he doesn't want to admit to how much money he has, possibly on him. I
2: feel like admitting that you have fifty dollars on you was too much. Was too much.
3: Well, he might not have had a smaller note on him though.
2: That's true yancy slides down a ravine to collect rocks when he notices the daughter watching him from the rv window and he slips back into his bear impression momentarily to freak her out and then she slams the window shut grandpa pulls up to the lake and starts to unload all of his garbage tree hugger snacks he has raisins carob chip cookies which no one has ever liked that's always been a prank food uh and sesame sticks which I assume are just sticks with sesame seeds peppered on them.
3: I, I actually thought this scene was kind of funny because I'm just like, oh, these foods seem totally normal to me now.
2: Yeah, but <laughs> I think at the time it was supposed to be a joke. Oh, like, no, I know.
3: Mm. it. I know at the time it was supposed to be a joke. And, and, you know, back back in the 80s and the 90s that, you know, eating health food was funny. But yeah. But now I'm just like, yeah, that's. That's a totally normal snack for kids. <laughs>
2: he even has a reusable canvas shopping bag with save a tree stitched across the side of it.
1: I, I like that they, they're eating these soy burgers and it's like, it tastes close enough like meat. Yeah. It's like, like, oh, we have that now. Yeah, <laughs> it it's like, we enough. definitely
2: didn't in 1980, though. No. Forty it, years later, we barely have what they're pretending to eat in this movie. Woody tells him exactly what a kid would say in response to this unprovoked attack.
0: I'm sorry, Grandpa, but I just can't eat this natural shit.
2: Zach compliments Woody's vocabulary. And he apologizes.
0: I'm sorry. I won't say shit anymore.
2: Uh, (laughs) That's
3: exactly what Jack does.
2: Yeah. (laughs) It's many Uh, times
3: that I could repeat this word.
2: Grandpa tells them that their dad used to make his own curse words like souffle before Grandpa murdered their father. I don't know what happened to their father. They never (laughs) get into it. Carl gets the fancy RV unstuck and pays them with a $50 bill specifically so they can't split it. Yancey asks. Who's that big hairy looking jagoff?
0: Who's that old hairy hippie looking jagoff?
2: <sighs> in reference to President Grant's portrait on the bill,
1: and Grant isn't particularly hairy. He's got a
0: mustache. He's got a big
2: beard. Yeah,
0: a yeah.
1: But I mean, like to me, like I, I would say like Jackson would ha- has like longer hair in his portrait. Yeah, that's true. And Grant seems like his his hair is more. Well, cut. maybe
2: on set they were using a twenty or something.
1: Because because Carl has a beard.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but when he says harry lugan jackoff i wanted i wanted uh, the dad to be like oh he's the reason that uh, that you guys don't have slaves anymore
3: <laughs> you guys
2: yeah you specifically the two of you um, <laughs> his ghost killed your slaves what that doesn't make sense
1: is that the ghost of stonewall jackson <laughs>
2: <laughs> who was that uh, john c riley yeah <laughs> that's so great Carl asks if they might have a look through the RV because they've never seen one so nice. And uh, the father is so flattered here that he lets these scary men onto the RV with the daughter who they traumatized mere moments ago. He tells them exactly to the penny what he paid for this trailer for some reason. And uh, they step out of the RV and it pulls away. $67,000 by the way. We cut to Woody still being bad at karate. Just sort of swinging around near the lake. Uh, Zach and Woody are carrying firewood when suddenly a gang of bikers blow down the path next to them. One of them is knocked off the path and nearly collides with the kids, but they jump out of the way at the last second. And Woody calls him a souffle. And then we watch the biker loop back around to poke fun at their pajamas because apparently they didn't bring any clothes on this trip and will permanently stay in their uniforms from the karate lesson. But he tells them that they haven't seen the last of him.
0: Because nobody called me souffle <laughs> and lived to tell about
2: Back at the campsite, Zach and Gramps are pretending to enjoy soy burgers and coaxing Woody to try his. Gramps is being very passive-aggressive with the diet he's forcing on these children. Oh, you don't have to eat it, but, oh, shoot, it's all I have, so maybe just die? The fancy RV pulls into the camp. Back at the Backwoods Cabin, Ma congratulates Carl on a successful fact-finding mission because he came back with a lot of info about how much money these people make and what their situation is. Carl says that the dad probably isn't with the government because his hair is too long and uh, he had a flush toilet in the camper, so they're clearly rich. He also rattles off a whole list of stealable shit on the RV. At the campsite, the daughter says that she's going to go for a walk and dad reminds her to please put shoes on because there's fungus, poison ivy, and dog shit everywhere. She says, you never let me do anything fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like step in dog shit.
1: And poison ivy.
2: (laughs) And poison ivy. (laughs) So when her parents look away, she sneaks <laughs> off without shoes, <laughs> just to spite her father. Woody tries to show Zach his flying kick and goes barreling over a branch into the lake uh, and lands next to this barefoot girl. When the barefoot girl's dad notices that she left, mom volunteers to find her while dad watches the stakes, even though she's like 100 feet that way, talking to campers they can probably see from here.
1: Yeah, they're, they're parked pretty close to each other. Yeah,
2: you can definitely see the trailers from each other's trailer. She asks if they plan on going to the Hootenanny tonight. She wants to, but she doubts her parents will let her because they brought her here specifically to avoid fun. Gramps tells Woody to get into the van and dry off, but don't you dare change into another outfit. Uh, Suddenly, the girl's mom approaches, shouting, Carol, Carol, Carol? to the barefoot girl. She yanks her away and says,
0: Hi, come on, Joe. Your father is watching our states
2: which I think is code for, we both know he's going to burn them. (laughs) Despite her mom shouting her name at her several times here, Zach calls after her.
0: Bye, whatever your name is. (laughs) And she replies, it's Carol.
1: (laughs) I thought that was just hello in your
0: language.
2: (laughs) Yeah. When they get back to the campsite, they find the grill unattended and their steaks ash. She starts screaming to her husband, and I was hoping against hope it wasn't his name. (laughs) he exits the rv apologizing evidently something came up at work that required his attention she pretends that stakes are more important than his job carol watches from inside as they fight her dad absentmindedly knocks over the grill she moves into her room in the trailer to dress up and brush her hair to prep for the hootenanny she sneaks out again this time with shoes and as she walks a path she sees zach and woody peddling a paddle boat down the river uh, in their formal karate uniforms. Just kidding. It's the same ones. <laughs> but Woody is dry now, apparently. She hops aboard. The hoot nanny seems more like a daycare center. A guy is leading the crowd in a group rendition of My Darling Clementine and he holds the mic up to the faces of a few singers to offer commentary. I'm pretty sure he just told the first woman no, (laughs) like he didn't like her singing. Uh, But eventually (laughs) he gets around to JJ, who like shout-sings some lyrics. I didn't think he was going to be here when the third seat on the paddle boat was empty earlier, but I guess they just made Grandpa walk so they could hit on chicks on the way here. (laughs) The guy leading the song is particularly impressed by Carol's mediocre singing and invites her on stage to sing with him. Carol's parents enter right as she starts her solo.
3: Well, and apparently dogs aren't allowed on stage.
2: Yes, uh, so she leaves that with the boys. But her parents are blown away by their daughter's talent. Zach seems transfixed on her, kind of like he kind of looks like a blonde preteen Dave Franco here a little bit. Uh, when she rejoins the boys, she asks if they know where her dog went—the one she left with them—and Woody says,
0: "Not you lose him." <laughs>
2: <laughs> uh no i was invited on stage you guys lost him they offer to help her find it and all three leave together
1: i, I love i love this exchange because zach
2: goes you
0: better go look for him well, i'll go with you to to sure if you stage want to i'll go too all right yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> carol's parents who only just now realize their daughter is a person forget again immediately when they're invited by the man on stage to participate in the hokey pokey <laughs> <laughs> The hokey Pokey seems supernaturally appealing when even a couple sharing a joint outside are lured in by its siren song <laughs> uh, they play little part in the rest of the film now it's it's weird that we well, we have a specific shot I mean there there are a couple more scenes but it's just it's a weird subplot to have these stoner characters <laughs> just obsessed with the hokey pokey the kids split up and start calling for Rufus in the woods it sounds like the boys are saying roof us which though it is spelled that way is usually pronounced rufus uh carol steps into her fancy trailer and finds rufus whimpering in the back suddenly yancy flushes the toilet on board and smiles a twisted smile at her through a crack in the door he chases her through the trailer till she finds her path blocked at the exit by carl it looked like this movie was about to get much darker (laughs) very quickly
1: the way they're cutting back and forth with the hokey pokey yeah and then the disturbing scenes of like her being like chased after yeah i was like oh this is actually really creepy how this is being edited
2: yeah i was like is this actually like gonna be like a murder or like molestation situation yeah. like that that's what it felt be some like hokey
3: pokey happening
2: yeah at the end of the hokey pokey song dick and ruth forbinger and jj are released from their trance to observe their missing descendants jj says he thinks carol left with his grandsons woody finds a radio on the ground outside of the fancy rv and carries it inside everything looks trashed from the tussle between carol and the bad guys ruth and dick open the door to it to find him standing there with the radio and flashlight and he tries to explain what happened he offers to lead everyone in the direction that zach was looking for rufus in case that's helpful zach finds carol bound and gagged in the woods but just as he reaches her yancey knocks him out cold with a right cross and then he picks up the girl and Carl whips out a big knife to slit the throat of the unconscious child. Zach comes to and kicks the knife out of his hand before running away. Carl sneaks up where Zach was hiding behind a log, and Zach leaves just before Carl pops up over the side of it and stabs his knife into the wood. Back with the parents and grandparent, Dick tells JJ that his grandson is responsible for this, and he'll be he'll be charged accordingly because it's your your grandson's fault that my daughter is missing. Apparently, the trailer being in disarray wasn't proof enough that the daughter was taken, though, because he's still only threatening to call the police, something that he should have done instantly. There should already be an Amber Alert out, even. Like, what if they just put her in a car and drove away? (laughs) JJ seems disappointed that Dick is considering bringing in the authorities. The only possible explanation for that is that in the back of his head, he's considering that maybe Zach did murder this girl. They split up, which I feel like I wouldn't do if I actually thought these people were responsible for my daughter's disappearance. Zach follows Yancey and Carl to the entrance of a mine, and he watches them lay her down against some rocks. They use a board as a bridge to get across a big hole in the mine, and then pull the board back so they strand her there on this ledge that she can't get. There's like a big pit blocking her way so she can't get out of the hole. The bad guys keep the dog in a potato sack. They tell Mama everything they've done, and clearly they intend to ransom the girl, but Mama says that what they did is felony FBI stuff, and they tell her they were going to use the ransom money to buy her tickets to Wayne Newton, so she's suddenly back on board with the plan. The first cop on the scene is a rookie kid on account of the sheriff's heartburn. They sent Lester over. The officer is overwhelmed by the details of the case and phones the sheriff anyway.
1: Listen, I'm up to the short hairs here. Uh, You think you can come over and give me a hand? Uh,
0: Thanks, Dad.
2: Zach, who waited outside the mine, eventually moves in. He takes a bat to the face at the cave's entrance—an animal bat, not a baseball bat—and uh, Carol can hear him shout and tries to call to him. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's trying to. She's trying to call to him, but he's not responding. So I, I guess he just hit the bat and was like, "Fuck this!" It turned around and left. Yeah. Um,
3: or she's really maybe deep inside the cave. I'm, it's maybe, not but she clear. hears him
2: scream. So if his voice carried to her, you would expect the right, reverse. Right, right she starts singing clementine again and he does not respond carl and ma are chopping up yancey's archie comics to compose a ransom note and he's pretty upset about it uh, they plan to include a flower that yancey pulled out of the girl's hair as proof that they have her with the note and they'll use the dog to deliver it like the symbolism of being deflowered here oh god well, but
3: like also how we deflowered is
2: that? your daughter. <laughs>
3: how is that unique to her it's a flower she probably found in those woods oh no it
2: was it was on it was a like band a, it was like a manufactured thing oh okay well, but either way
3: but still it's not unique to her
2: right but when you're doing a ransom you need proof of life yeah you need to prove that they're alive right. not just that you have them and and the cops never even ask for any proof of life i guess they don't really have any way to contact the killers at nope. all it's a it's a one-way communication i guess anytime they need to send another message they just have to kidnap the dog again <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but they they put all the stuff in a bag and attach it to the dog to deliver the note. The sheriff shows up at the Hootenanny building, and he says they can't do much until morning, but he'll get some men from the forestry and fish and game services on the case. And he says they'll probably find her in the morning. It's no problem. He also advises them to never eat chili out of a dented can. I'm not sure what, what difference a dent would make.
3: Botulism.
2: What is that? the sheriff says that if he knows anything with absolute certainty it's that these kids are in absolutely no danger Uh, before the parents even leave the room the rookie Lester says I'll bet you dimes to donuts those kids aren't missing at all but they are missing even if as the sheriff suspects they're just playing grab ass the fact that they are not here with their parents means they are missing (laughs) yeah Another angle reveals that not only were Carol's folks in the room when they said it, but JJ and Woody are still sitting at the table with them when the police suggested that his own grandson was the kidnapper. JJ calls him a souffle, and they head out. The bad guys send the dog with the ransom note. After more searching, Carol's parents and JJ settle down for the night. Dick steps outside the trailer just as Carl is trying to coax the dog in its direction. Suddenly, Yancey is pounding on the horn to call Carl back, but Dick somehow doesn't notice this car honking or the man standing there at all. And he finds the note on Rufus. He calls the sheriff back to confirm that this is a kidnapping and now a ransom situation. JJ goes to knock on the forbinger's trailer when he hears a siren approaching. Zack finally returns and throws open the door to JJ's trailer and asks Woody where he went. Apparently Woody was sleeping outside and has no idea where Grandpa went. The sheriff looks over the ransom note and assumes bizarrely that it's a joke. Uh, quick reveal here for the first time that the rookie is actually the son of the sheriff. Because <laughs> he says,
1: I called the FBI myself and swore to God they're on their way.
2: I called the FBI and swore they're on their way. You swore that to them? What? You, you guys are on your way here. I, I'm telling you. And then he says, Didn't I, Dad?
1: He actually calls him dad earlier when he calls them. Did he? Okay, yeah, I when he says that. like it's like I'm really overwhelmed here. All right, thanks dad.
2: <laughs> okay. But JJ is very happy to learn that the FBI are on the way because when he got tired of not looking for one grandson, he abandoned the other one in a sleeping bag outside and now he's gone too. Back at the shack, Ma says they need a diversion so they can collect the ransom money without getting caught. The FBI arrive very quickly, like the same night, and start taking testimony from everybody. And Zach is leading Woody back to the mine so that they can find the girl. The FBI read the ransom note, and the ransom note asks for $35,000 to be left at Bingham's Point at 3 p.m. JJ is confused why they didn't mention Zach in the note, because at the time it was written, they all they had was the girl.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, the FBI immediately says, "Can you get me $35,000?" Yeah, it's like, it's like really.
2: The, the FBI asks the Four "Can you
1: two have this?" A- here by this afternoon.
2: Why does the FBI need to borrow $35,000? Just borrow it from like a local bank or use forged money? Unless your plan is to let them actually take it? I I don't know why you would need the money from them. A car drives down a road past two construction workers, and one of them says,
0: Here comes the candy.
2: into a radio. Presumably this is way too obvious code for the ransom money is in this car, and the two construction workers are undercover lookouts. Back in the cave, Zach and Woody remake the wood bridge. Before, it held the weight of Joe Spinell and this girl, but now it's buckling under the weight of just Zach, who is inexplicably crossing first towards where Carol is trapped. I
1: was like, just have her go across. Yeah. Why why do you need to meet in the middle? It's not
2: necessary. (laughs) And also, there's like 10 huge boards at the mouth of this cave and
1: a giant piece of sheet metal
2: yeah (laughs) they should be using that in place of this one fence panel
3: this is why stem is so important we need to help (laughs) kids understand engineering skills what
2: are these kids going to do with their art history degrees (laughs) at 10 years old
3: less karate more science
2: yeah uh zach slowly backs up before the board collapses into the pit zach walks past a huge pile of wood to get help and leaves his kid brother with carol uh, Zach takes the flashlight because apparently this mine has enough natural light for them to see. Right. And Zach can't see outside in the daytime. Uh, one of the FBI agents is now handcuffed to a briefcase with way more than $25,000 in it. Or $35,000.
3: Because like $35,000 would be like a stack of bills.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> Like it, a small stack of bills. So these are all together. 20s, but they're bundled into like large stacks of 20s. And I think the bands say that it's $500 worth of 20s, but there's like 10 in a stack and there's way more than seven stacks in this thing.
1: (laughs) Well, it's like that scene in um, Dodgeball. When (laughs) he opens the briefcase. Yeah, it's like, I don't know if you've ever seen
0: $100,000, except maybe in the movies.
1: But I assure you, something gets lost in the translation.
2: He opens it up and there's just
1: two little stacks of bills. (laughs) And it's like, like, wow. (laughs) Wow.
2: The briefcase doesn't appear to lock though, which kind of defeats the purpose of handcuffing anyone to it. (laughs) Because you could just open it and take the money out. Yeah. They get a call that Zack has been spotted on his way back to the camp, or at least a kid in a karate uniform. In the mine, Woody is teaching Carol to do karate yelps. Zach finds the cops and the parents and offers to lead them all to the mine where their daughter is trapped. After
1: he finishes his sandwich. Yeah,
2: he sits and eats a whole sandwich before he offers to tell them anything. Couldn't <laughs> so, have done this in the car on the way there.
1: Like, like, he got there and was like, oh, do you want a sandwich? He's like, oh yeah, sure, I guess.
2: That's great. I'm also going to take a quick nap and then I'll fill you in. Lester, the rookie, insists that there is no pit in these mines for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. He's just like, oh, I know those pits like the back of my hand. There's definitely no pits in those mines.
1: I thought it was going to be to like lend that his story doesn't add up but then they find the pit yeah so at least that part of his story <laughs> yeah. is true uh
2: woody winds up making another karate yelp when a loud scream in someone else's voice is heard
3: they really called yelps i feel like
2: i googled it and they're not called that i was
3: gonna say there's gonna be some karate (laughs) listeners that are gonna be like they're not yelps
2: but you know what i'm saying when i say karate yelp listener even if you haven't seen this movie you know what a karate yelp is
1: (laughs) it's where you review karate studios (laughs) that's
2: perfect she asks how he did that with his voice and he says he didn't before yancey takes credit he says that's my wolf howl how'd you like it Carl shows up also and they gag both kids and carry them away just as the cops are showing up with Zack. The bad guys sneak out of a back passage and Carol kicks off a shoe to leave a trail. When the cops see that Carol and Woody are not on the ledge around the pit anymore they assume that Zack is bullshitting them and demand he stay out of this investigation. JJ waits until all the law enforcement people are gone to suggest checking any more of the cave than just this entrance. At the shack, Ma wonders aloud how upset she would have been if someone had kidnapped her kids, and Carl relieves her by pointing out how all their lives would have been better. Yancey wouldn't have ended up in a state hospital, Carl could have avoided prison, and Dad wouldn't have left. She changes her tune and now thinks that they might be doing these parents a favor, forgetting for a moment how ransoms work, and that the plan isn't to keep these kids unless the new plan is to murder them?
1: I, the new plan is to murder them.
2: It seems like they've already made that decision, yes. Woody and Carol untie each other in the shack next to a pile of televisions.
3: I mean, isn't it kind of weird that within the ransom like agreement, there was no like indication of any exchange? How the kids would get turned in? Yeah, yeah, because mm-hmm. there's like, oh wait, we're gonna give you the money and then, then what? Nothing. Then
2: you get another note and you <laughs> give us more money. Uh,
1: give a mouse a cookie.
2: He'll ask for thirty-five thousand dollars. The FBI explains that they have placed a small radio transponder in the briefcase to track the kidnappers' movements. Dick demands to make the handoff himself, and I really wanted this to be because he secretly planned to steal the money and leave his family, forgetting that the cash was his to begin with. (laughs) JJ has used fishing line to make a trail through the cave so that they don't get lost, and he ran out of line right when they find the shoe that Carol had kicked off. And it's near another passage, so... They climb out of a second exit to the cave, and from the exit of this cave you can see their backwoods shack. It's right there.
3: It really bothers me that the FBI didn't believe him when he brought them down to the cave. He's the only
2: witness to the crime.
3: He's the only witness. Why would he make it up? Because they have received a ransom already. And his brother has been
2: taken, too. His brother's been
3: taken. And like their excuse was, what did they like leave before we got here? And the answer is yeah, 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 they he did. Said, what did they
2: do, fly <laughs> out of here? And it's like, I don't understand that reference. There's so much cave that you guys didn't check. They could be in here right now.
3: But, like, also, the time between when I brought you down here and they were in here.
2: Yeah, it was night when just, I left.
3: They could have just walked out of the front of the cave without you seeing them.
2: Yeah, it's very weird. Ma's doing a checklist at the shack. Uh, they have masks, dynamite, shotguns, and kids are the things they need before they can leave yancy and carl drive away to do their part which is to activate a diversion and collect the money jj and zach assume that carol and woody are in the house which they've now snuck up right alongside so they're they're hiding behind like a little ledge
1: yeah it's like it's like a like a dry riverbed or something yeah
2: and uh they're watching the house and they're like i bet that they took the kids and they're inside that shack right now JJ sends Zach back to the campgrounds to find the police again.
1: Do you know where you are? Yeah. Because we just came out of a cave somewhere else.
2: Yeah. Well, I assume that he would just backtrack the exact path. He would go back back into into the the cave. cave,
1: Find the fishing line. Back out
2: of of the entrance and do whatever he did to get there in the first place. So I like that Zach gives him a little grief about like, he's like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, what's the problem? He's like, nothing. I'm just getting a lot of exercise today (laughs) because this poor kid has had to go back and forth to the campsite so many times. He's like, the cops think I'm a lying sack of shit. Why are they going to believe anything that we say? And he's like, here, give them this shoe. That's proof. And it's like, if they don't believe anything I've said so far, they're not going to care that I have the shoe of the girl they think I murdered. (laughs) Like, what difference is that going to make? Here's the proof
1: I didn't kill her. Her shoe.
2: I found her head. There's the proof I didn't kill her. What? Where did you find it? It It's in my van. The cops set up all their surveillance equipment, and uh, Yancey heads to Bingham Point while Carl plants the diversion zach runs up to the guy with the joint from the hokey pokey earlier and asks if he knows where the fbi went and the guy ditches his second joint and uh just keeps asking what do you talk about fbi what what about fbi and he's like okay never mind i don't i'm not gonna get anything out of you zach finds jj's ice cream truck and practices driving for the first time he backs over a tent and then he rips it completely off of a camper luckily he didn't just vehicularly manslaughter this guy (laughs) (laughs) it looks like the fbi eventually trusted dick with his own money because now he's holding the briefcase walking through the woods <laughs> we cut inside the surveillance van beeping and whirring very loudly loudly yeah. enough to hear from outside and then the first fbi guy notices that the briefcase is already moving and he runs outside to the second fbi guy and it seems like they're implying that dick just snuck off with the money yeah, yeah that don't... was handcuffed to the agent earlier yeah,
3: and i don't really understand what's happening here like why why does he want to steal it to go up there
1: on his own? Like what's his plan?
3: And
2: why did these FBI agents leave $35,000 in an unattended briefcase?
1: Well, and and was the agent talking to the wife? Cuz he's talking to a woman. And like is that I the mom? I think so.
3: I thought the agent was chatting up the mom. Okay. So so and maybe she was supposed to be a diversion so that the dad could steal the money back to give it to the guy, but why yeah. did he want to do that? Yeah. I mean, I know he's
2: Told and also, them he, he wouldn't to do have that, to. But why? <laughs> yeah, why would he want to? Well, just because it's you know it's his money and it's his kid. But along the same lines, like he when he said, Are, "When can you get the thirty-five thousand dollars here?" He would just be like, "You know what? I'm going to have them send it in a briefcase, and then I don't have to ask you to let me carry the briefcase to the kidnappers because it's my fucking money, and this is America, and I'm allowed to <laughs> carry my money wherever I want to." America. Merica. Dick brings the money to Bingham Point just as Zach is driving out of the campsite zach is blocked by the entire biker gang from earlier souffle yanks him out of the driver's seat and drags him to see the rest of them and he calls zach mr pajamas but the youtube subtitles here read mr butt job (laughs) which threw me (laughs) off at first uh these are obviously automated (laughs) subtitles it made me laugh. I was like, what did he say? we got to back this up. I
3: told you the best part of watching these movies on YouTube was the yeah. automated captions.
2: There, There's some fun stuff in there. We get a lot of footage of – I wanted to play a game where I, I tell you what YouTube said and you try and tell me which line from the movie that it was, but uh, I didn't have a lot of time to do that. We get a lot of footage of meaningless monitors in the surveillance van. I'm pretty sure they're all displaying audiographs anyway. Uh, none of these look like a map with like a blinking dot to indicate <laughs> where the money is.
1: Well, I think the one has like a series of bars that are moving left or right. Yeah, And I guess the implication is that when they're moving to the right the transmitter is moving away and when they're moving to the left it's coming
0: back towards
3: them super not useful well if (laughs) if that
2: is true there should also have been a monitor with a map showing a dot moving on it that was tracking based on the other monitors
1: if if this is the only surveillance van that radio transmitter it's 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 only going to tell you if it's coming away getting closer or going further away yeah that's literally you can't show where it is on a map without at least having multiple locations being
2: monitored you have signal. to triangulate yeah dick moves through the trees with the briefcase when he is surprised and knocked out by yancey yancey runs off with the money and back in the surveillance van the agents make a note that the money's on the move again but hasn't it been this whole time how can you tell the difference between dick carrying the money and yancey carrying the money <laughs> nevertheless they call in the handoff like it's official to the fbi which i it technically is but there's no way they could have known that because it would have looked the same to them right. as if he stopped again to look around he
3: sat down for a minute like he's already a done a couple
2: times while we've been watching <laughs> he's him. been
1: pushed off the mountain yeah. with the briefcase and he's falling down it right yeah.
2: now <laughs> right now the uh, the money's been handed off and it's tumbling very quickly uh towards that bloody mess over there the bikers are laughing off zach's story about kidnappers and the fbi until he does a few high kicks to prove that it's all true <laughs> suddenly they offer him a ride and uh, as yancey and carl drive away with the money a bomb goes off on the hill and yancey moves the money from this briefcase to a potato sack as a second bomb goes off scaring the agents into waiting longer before checking where the handoff happened
3: i was so confused about this plan in general that was like well we need a diversion for the yeah. handoff it's like the diversion was after you get the money you're gonna blow up a bomb while you run away yeah like, look it's there. like unless the run. bomb is
2: exactly where the handoff happened this wouldn't be a good diversion because they wouldn't bother to check there if they're not they're not looking for an explosion they're looking for the people with kids but if it happened exactly where the handoff did then they just blew up dick's unconscious body <laughs>
3: well but uh, like why why is an explosion a distraction to them at all they know they're supposed to be following you with the money after the handoff
2: because they don't even know where those people went i guess i mean they they do up to a certain point but now they're moving all the money out of the briefcase into a bag and uh the stoner couple are still singing the hokey pokey as they drive away from this uh the lake campsite and yancey and carl pass them on the road and toss the empty briefcase into the bed of the stoner's pickup the stoners come to a roadblock and get yanked out of their car and when the fbi asks where it is in reference to the briefcase he hands over a big bag of weed because he doesn't know what they're talking about we cut to that karate demonstration happening by the lake that i totally forgot was even a plot point Uh, (laughs) please tell me all of these kids are involved in the rescue the bikes roll through the presentation and kind of interrupt what's going on but the instructor in charge of the demonstration says that part of karate is focus and that you need to pay attention to me and ignore all these bikes. Yancy and Carl bring the money back to the house while JJ watches from the dry riverbed. I'm realizing now that the plan was always to kill these kids because they're openly talking about their plans to head to Las Vegas in front of them mm-hmm. and they've all shown the kids their faces and their car and everything. This is officially confirmed when Carl says, there is that one other thing we need to do. And Ma says,
0: well, just- away from me that's
2: all one by one all the kids at this karate demonstration leave with zach to hop on the back of the bikes
1: i don't know why they didn't go to the
2: fbi no
1: or the police no, well, no, no he no. was
3: trying to find the fbi and because he asked one stoner where the fbi was and he couldn't help him he gave up on the plan of finding the fbi he's like and what just said,
2: what do you want me to do check all three places they could possibly be, this trailer, this trailer, or that other building that are all within walking distance. No, no, no. Not gonna I'm going to skip
3: that. that. I'm going to go find my karate friends
1: and get yeah. them to help me. And not the adult karate people. Yeah, just, just the kids. kids. <laughs> or the bikers. Yeah. You have the bikers no, with no. you. The no, biker, no, no.
3: You The bikers the will only go so far.
2: The bikers with ninjas reach the FBI roadblock. The bikers let all the dragons off and they run up into the hills while all the bikes take a u-turn because the
3: bike and the bikers and the police don't get along according to right souffle
2: right but f- there's no way the fbi wouldn't pursue these guys i mean they're looking for someone who just kidnapped a karate kid and these guys just dropped off a dozen karate kids after the ransom money was handed off like you would think this was the returning of the kids carl's plan for the kids is to just drop them in the pit in the cave something that they should have done first if that was their plan this whole time uh, because right, they never had to prove no that they were alive
3: exchange plan
2: <laughs> yeah zach sneaks up on jj with an army of karate kids and jj is for some reason pleased <laughs> he should have been like this isn't the fbi like through a smile yancey loads carol into the car and when he returns for woody woody is gone while yancey and Carl are looking for woody we see in the background just karate kids are hiding all over the yard Ma gets her shotgun out and trains it on Zack and Woody when she finds them in the house. But they kick her over and she fires straight through the window. So apparently she's not totally averse to murdering children. Yeah,
1: she goes like full Madame Medusa on these kids and just starts (laughs) unloading shotgun blasts. Uh,
2: Zack and Woody, uh, (laughs) instead of finding a door to leave through, literally just kick the wall off of the house. And the wall happily falls on Carl outside. So... They just jump out. A karate girl drops out of a tree and lands on Yancey's shoulders, but then she just gets off and runs away. Like, she doesn't even finish fighting him. Zack unties Carol in the car. What is up with the soundtrack here? (laughs) It's just like... Like, just happy, (laughs) like, driving music. Very weird. Two karate kids perform a three stooges sketch with Yancey around an outhouse until Zack runs up and jump kicks him in the back. And he falls through the door and completely down the toilet of the outhouse. Like, fully down the drain, his feet disappear. Yep. (laughs) That's ridiculous. Uh, Carl's swinging a 2 by 4 wildly at children to try and sweep clear a path to the car. And then Woody yells,
3: Freeze you big shithead or I'll send you straight to hell!
2: (laughs) (laughs) He breaks the board with a kick and the kids all pile onto Carl. Ma points a shotgun at a pile of kids...
3: I thought this moment was so great, though, when they're just like, how can we incorporate something from, like, a karate class into this movie? Oh, Mm -hmm. I know. Let's have him break a board that he's swinging Right,
0: yeah.
1: (laughs) Got any cinder blocks? No, that's too much.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Ma points a shotgun at a pile of kids, apparently not caring that her son is under them, and J.J. throws his fishing hook through the entire house, and catches it on Ma's dress. And then he gives her a good yank right before she can fire the shotgun. And she accidentally blows a hole in the awning over the porch. Which then collapses on her. And then JJ jokes from across the house, I caught a big one.
1: I like that she was gonna, her implication was that I figure I can take out five kids per barrel. Yeah. So I'm going to murder like, ten okay. children
2: right here. Uh, just then the FBI pull up to save the day. Back in karate class, Carol has now joined the class. And a few kids, including Zack and Woody, are getting belt promotions. Zach is now a red belt, and Woody has been bumped up to Burgundy, whatever the shit that means.
1: And, and then J.J. once again disappears yeah. to the land from which he came. Yeah,
2: I, I really wanted his truck to just fade to invisible <laughs> as he left, like he was a ghost the whole time or something. But yeah, J.J. applauds for the doorway and inexplicably turns to leave before class is over. Uh, we see the dojo logo as a patch on the back of his fishing vest as he goes but he outside he does a few shitty karate kicks and then he hops into his ice cream truck and forgets about the kids he brought to karate practice uh, no
3: parents in sight no
2: not at all uh maybe they just live at the dojo but then where was woody at the beginning that he was late to class <laughs> Rufus jumps into Woody's arms in the middle of the belt promotion ceremony, and the instructor looks like he's going to kill someone. He's so angry. (laughs) And that's the end of the film. The director here was Curtis Hanson, inexplicably. Uh, You know him from L.A. Confidential or Wonder Boys. He also wrote White Dog, which was directed by our recent Big Red One director, Samuel Fuller. Uh, The first I saw of his was The River Wild because I was obsessed with Jurassic Park and had to rent everything that had any of the cast of Jurassic Park in it. In this case, it was Joseph Mazzello, who, together with his Jurassic Park sister, Ariana Richards, were both in Kevin Bacon films, but hers is much better. You know what hers is?
3: She's in... Was she in Tremors? She is. Yeah.
2: He also directed Losing It, Eight Mile, and Chasing Mavericks. Speaking of Chasing Mavericks, for at least a few days, he was... In discussions to direct a script I wrote on commission about competitive wakeboarding, <laughs> but the financing kept falling apart. And I forgot you wrote a script about competitive wakeboarding. <laughs> it wasn't my choice. Someone asked for it to be written, and I wrote it. Um, and they were pursuing him to direct. But he, when the money kept falling apart, he moved to Chasing Mavericks, which is, I think, a surfing movie. Yeah, competitive surfing. Yeah. <laughs> and it ended up being his last film he he passed away uh, less than a year after it came out i think writer alan ormsby uh one of the writers obviously the only one with any credits (laughs) he wrote my bodyguard which is another 1980 film we'll be covering as well as the 1982 cat people porky's two and the substitute and its first two tv movie sequels neither of which Tom Berenger came back for, because Treat Williams played the substitute substitute. (laughs) (laughs) He also has an additional story material credit for Mulan. (laughs) Between those two sequels to the substitute. And more recently, he wrote four episodes of Nash Bridges, starring one of the leads of our recent film, Cheech and Chong's Next Movie. Cinematographer Stephen M. Katz on this film. Before this, he was a DP on The Pom Pom Girls, which features an appearance by our friend Cooper Huckabee. I think he mentioned that film as a reason that Tarantino picked him for Django Unchained when we spoke with him on our other podcast. Katz also lensed Kentucky Fried Movie, and just after this film, he did Blues Brothers, though that film wound up being released first. He would later DP for 18 Again, Gods and Monsters, and Baby Geniuses. Charles Lane played JJ. He played a real estate salesman in It's a Wonderful Life. And Nosy and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, so he's got a couple of uh, Jimmy, Stewart. Jimmy Stewart roles. Uh, he's also Constable Locke in The Music Man and the attorney in The Aristocats, the one who goes,
0: <laughs> <"Hur-ur-ur-boom-yeah."> <laughs> I <laughs> the, love that that's, character. That's the, Grandpa that's JJ awesome. is the voice of that character. Oh, that's great.
2: Anne Southern was Angel. She's
1: the mother of the two uh, hillbilly brothers. Right. I don't recall her ever being said her name yeah having said her name but
2: that's who it is that's who it is uh she plays rita phipps in a letter to three wives and she's also the voice of the car on my mother the car chris peterson played zach his only other credit worth mentioning i think is hal in the swarm the killer bee movie that we bring up as often as we can and pat peterson his real life brother was playing woody his karate brother joey the kid who stole his mom's kitchen knife to kill a 30-foot alligator in alligator that was woody oh really yeah that
3: was the same kid
2: yep joe Spinell was yancey who we've already had this year as a rapist cop in cruising lieutenant Spinell in the ninth configuration floyd in brew baker squeeze it henderson's absentee father in the forbidden zone (laughs) and this is his fifth appearance but he'll be back for melvin and howard and the first deadly sin for this year alone reminder we will be touching on maniac but in the u.s it didn't premiere until march of 81 so we'll get to that one i know it says 1980 on imdb john davis chandler played carl he was bleak in adventures in babysitting i don't remember who bleak is but i'm going to guess somebody at the like the mechanic shop or something
3: i don't know one of the bad guys
2: for sure he plays charlie in mako the jaws of death and he was the first bounty hunter in the outlaw josie wales clifford a pillow P E L L O W played the sheriff. He was Allen in Blue Thunder. He plays Turk in The Hustler. And he's Guzman in Magnum Force. Probably Guzman. Uh, <laughs> Not Luis Guzman. <laughs> yeah. Stephen Young played Lunsford. I'm guessing that's the FBI agent. Uh, yes. He played Captain Chester P. Hansen in Patton. He's Gilbert in Soylent Green. And he plays the interior decorator in Who's Harry Crumb? Pat E. Johnson plays karate instructor. I think that's the one from their actual class, not the one from the demonstration. Mm. And he played a hood in Enter the Dragon. We had him earlier this year as Ora Haley's bodyguard in Tom Horn, and he'll be back for Battle Creek Brawl in 1980. He also plays the referee in all three Karate Kid movies.
1: Oh, so he probably is an actual
2: yes. instructor. That uh, would make sense. Bong Su Han, the karate master, probably the guy leading the demonstration by mm-hmm. the lake he plays dr khan in a fistful of yen which is a segment from the kentucky fried movie from the same dp he'll also be back next year as reverend Ree in force five and he also taught karate on the sets of billy jack and cleopatra jones donnie williams played the motorcycle leader he'll be back later this year as spear in battle creek brawl and before this he was josh lawrence in a force of one an odds maker and breaker, breaker, which is fun to say altogether. Uh, he's also an uncredited karate instructor in Enter the Dragon. So I think he's actually a karate instructor that they probably had interviewed to be the karate instructor for the class, mm-hmm. and because they wanted people who knew what they were doing, and then gave him this other role. Uh, Tony Bill plays Niles. We've seen this guy before. I, I don't remember who Niles was in the movie. Is he the guy singing at the? hootenanny
1: no because that the hootenanny has a hootenanny mc credit.
2: is is he the stoner
1: he's just credited as so Miles. maybe the
3: younger uh no because stoner has guy? a credit too
2: maybe maybe he's the other fbi agent because oh you know what he's probably the guy in the surveillance van uh but he has an oscar for producing the sting he was the executive producer of this film and he plays terry hawthorne the president of warner brothers Pee Wee's big adventure and we had him earlier this year as dick sissy spacex crappy rich boyfriend at the beginning of heartbeat
1: oh well, we didn't mention um carol sally boyden
2: that's correct we didn't
1: uh she's a pretty famous australian singer
2: is she I didn't um, know that.
1: yeah uh it's I like I, heard, I had heard the name before and i was like huh. sally boyden and i don't know music as you know but for some reason this name stuck out for me but yeah she's got uh uh quite a few like a discography and everything
2: huh does it say what her like best known song is or
1: um let's see solo album i don't know what emi means uh become in 1998 uh she had an album in 1977 uh, so i think that's why she was doing so much singing in this movie because
2: she was probably known as a singer really she didn't come across as a singer in this
3: movie <laughs> but they put her on stage and she yeah. sang but the, unimpressively I'm, yeah
2: i'm just saying she just sang the way a kid sings what didn't seem like it was like a good showcase if that's what it was supposed to be
1: well maybe she was just put on the spot yeah uh but yeah singer or uh wikipedia has her singer songwriter actress
2: she got better (laughs) uh this movie's not great but (laughs) that third act though holy shit that was pretty cool actually (laughs) i really liked the kids storming the the shack and uh i liked you know ma's turn to suddenly be yeah. a complete psychopath i wasn't
3: really expecting them to have a plot to kill the kids
2: yeah I, I think i was totally blown away when it got so wacky that grandpa is literally fishing for the woman with a shotgun to prevent her from killing 10 children
1: <laughs> but i think that the whole movie should have been that way from the start like it should i don't
2: have... think i like could people have taken that no <laughs> <laughs> you would have had you would have needed like an ambulance in the parking lot because that would be ridiculous, but yeah, it got wacky enough for me at the end where I was like, "I, I approve of this message." I'm, I'm not giving it a thumbs up. It's not that it's not that worth seeing unless you're like a you know you're you're big no, on No, no,
3: there's no unless you're a there there's no. No, there uh, is
2: if you if you're a Curtis Hansen fan, which there those people exist.
3: I don't even if you're a Curtis Hansen fan, I don't know that you should bother to watch this. I feel movie. like there's
2: lessons to be learned when you watch LA Confidential and you're like I could never direct something like that and you're like oh yeah watch Karate Kids USA aka The Little Dragons aka Dragons aka Karate Kids and you'll realize how far you can come over the course of build a, a couple career. decades yeah. yeah you can get to the point where you're directing LA Confidential but watch this movie and tell me that you couldn't have directed it and I won't believe you <laughs>
3: <laughs> spent like 10,000 hours on this movie because it got a lot better after this yeah <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, it was almost twenty years before L.A. Confidential came out, and that was like his big breakaway hit. I mean, he had stuff along the way, like I said, The River Wild, but even even that's not great. I mean, I didn't hate it, but that's because I was biased in favor of Joseph Mazzello films at the time. What do we think, Jess? Up or down on this one?
3: Uh, well, it's it's a it's a down. Yeah, me too.
2: <laughs> Richard.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a down for me. Yeah. Um, I'm. Debating on how far down I want to put it on my list. I think it's number one.
3: Well, it's funny to me because you're just saying that you needed to put Honeysuckle Rose into your list in order to be complete. You're like, this will be nowhere near yet. It's actually pretty near that for me. Oh, yeah? (laughs) Well, I put Honeysuckle Rose pretty low, but... um yeah, uh, it's uh, it's gonna be two below that one for me. It is below the Happy Hooker Goes to Hollywood, but above Effects, which is uh, let's see, twelve from the bottom.
2: Twelve from the bottom. What do you think on your list?
1: Um, I have this as uh number sixty on my list
2: of uh, eighty four. So that's of eighty
1: four, not... uh, it comes right after Rough Cut, but just before Holy Moses.
2: Okay,
3: it's a little higher than I expected.
2: Is this better or worse than honeysuckle rose? See, that's what that's I was saying. Question. It's
3: actually pretty close to honeysuckle rose.
2: I think it goes under for for me, this is getting this is going right under honeysuckle rose.
3: Well, it definitely goes under because honeysuckle rose at least had Willie Nelson music.
2: Okay. Yeah. It's going under honeysuckle rose and above Fatso for me, which is pretty low. I think it's lower than you had it, Richard. I'm One, trying to, three, I'm trying to find four, out where five, it is, six, but I don't 7 8. So that's 68th place for me that's where that goes 68 out of 84 which you said 63 or something like that 60 even 60 i think
3: i have mine at 72 though mine's a little lower than yours
2: well you you win the hating this movie (laughs) contest
3: (laughs) i didn't want to watch this movie i tried to convince you guys that we should cut it
2: (laughs) well you were mistaken Uh, Because it's been fun to review. It just wasn't fun to watch. (laughs) It was not fun to watch. (laughs) But I think that is everything for this one officially. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Whereas I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show, and if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can also support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. And on that note, I'd like to make a special shout-out to the Tennis Podcast. Thank you so much for your iTunes review. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Prom Night, which IMDb describes like so. At a high school senior prom, a masked killer stalks four teenagers who were responsible for the accidental death of a classmate six years previously. We leave you now with a trailer
0: for Prom Night. There's a special night in the lives of all of us. A night to be beautiful, to be desirable. A night we can break all the rules and make our own. Prom Night. Everyone at Hamilton High is getting ready. It's a day of rehearsals, (laughs) arrangements, final preparations, and last-minute phone calls. Nick? Wendy, do you still like to play games? They're too old for games, but someone still wants to play. You won't be coming home.